0: Hello there, you are listening to At The Well, the bi-monthly Bible podcast that helps you see yourself in the stories of scripture. I'm Jarell. I'm Charles. And I'm Eli. And we are delighted that you're joining us for this week's discussion. This week's discussion that uh, has been pushed back twice, uh, <laughs> because one of us, who will remain nameless, uh, but you know, tries hard, is very handsome, was not prepared the first time, and the second time, uh, because we miscommunicated the schedule, but we are here now, gentlemen, how does it feel to be here?
1: I will always love being back in the booth with you too.
2: Feels so lovely,
0: indeed, indeed, indeed. How's everyone's, everyone's everyone's weekend? Stab in the dark, but did anyone, um, you know, go apple picking, carve some pumpkins, run a race, almost die on a hill? said <laughs> a new pr charles any of that resonating with you yes at all?
1: Some, some of
2: that something about a hill and uh the letters p and r yeah and a race well don't be bashful charles flex on
0: the listeners man.
2: <laughs> well since you bring it up
0: uh, <laughs> twist my arm why don't you <laughs> you
2: know uh, drill and i uh ran a five mile race yesterday which for <laughs> us is um a lot that was um, that was a definitely a, a challenge that we took on as both people who did not grow up running or are not we not runners or competitive runners. Um, but it was a beautiful day. Uh, we had the best cheerleader out there in uh, Amelia.
0: We did. She was uh, in her Michigan Bear
2: onesie, and it was the cutest thing. It was super cute. It's probably the reason why I did set a PR uh, for the five mile.
0: It was a sub, <laughs> sub 40, so pretty good. Let them know.
1: Oh, good for you, Charles.
0: Under eight minutes a mile, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, that's legit. That's, that's I'm so insane. happy that you... Yeah, I'm glad that you two are resisting the
1: temptation to have dad bods. I'm proud of you. <laughs> but apparently
2: the dad bods, you know, dad bods and the new
1: are in. They're like... So the
2: it's new, a, the no, magnet. it's
0: Nope, stop. <laughs> you know, we're just going to get the dad bods, grow some mullets. Those are back.
2: Um, I'm yeah. okay. Good. Those of us who don't have receding hairlines, maybe. <laughs>
0: uh, it's <laughs> You can grow but up it, in the back, Charles. It's party in the back.
2: Maybe my hairline is trying to go that way. It's like we're receding <laughs> yeah. to the party
0: in the back. I don't know what a black man mullet would look like, but Disgusting. not great.
1: <laughs> like was... Unrelaxed, like, like, un- just
2: like Afro puff in the back. Right.
0: Like, would you have to straighten it or would it just be like a lot of just a lot of fluff on the back of your neck? Oh, my
2: gosh.
0: Oh, that's <laughs> that's silly. Geez. Wow. I kind of want to see it um you know that was it's a very fun fun time fun weekend i'm currently wearing the shirt that we got from the race which is maybe the best race shirt i've ever gotten it's so soft it's really soft it's so soft so i should
2: take it out of my hamper and not destroy the softness
0: by running it through the wash right like this is this precious cargo precious cargo
1: so you're wearing a shirt that you ran in but didn't wash
0: no, I didn't no. run in it. You just get it oh, for like okay. finishing the race. Okay. I was like, no. gross. <laughs> it's not that that's something I wouldn't do, but it's not something I'm currently doing.
1: That's good. Okay, keep it fresh for the listeners.
0: <laughs> and yes, wash your clothes. Don't don't <laughs> don't be like me and sometimes just forget that clothes need to be washed. <laughs> so we are uh, recording this nearing the end of uh, October. And so we're kind of pretty deep into fall, but I thought a good question for today. And if you'd like to leave us a question to answer, you can always email us at three guys at the well. That's number three, then guys at the well, all one word in lowercase gmail.com. So a good question I thought would be, what is the best part of fall or autumn if you're bougie? So Eli, what is the best part of autumn? (laughs) I'm glad that your Wi-Fi went out. You know me
2: too well. Because I definitely would have said autumn. Do you <laughs> actually?
1: I was just kidding.
0: Jeez, man.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> stop laughing at me. Anyway, so over the weekend, I had the pleasure of going on a church-wide retreat for the members of my church. And like 60 of us, almost 70 of us went. And it was out in cove valley pennsylvania great um great campground and i would say my my favorite part of autumn is just like the coolness the crispness and how clean the air is when you step outside and how lovely like we were surrounded by mountains on one side and a big old lake on the other, and just the color of the trees, it is phenomenal because, like down here, we don't get a real fall. Like the transition seasons last for about one to two weeks. and then everything is brown, and it's miserable in the winter. It's just ugly. And then spring is just rainy for two weeks, and then it's like disgusting swamp humidity. But like out there, we there were enough trees. oh, it was it was like it was so painterly. i I loved it. I loved it. And that's what I love about the fall or autumn or whatever you want to call it.
0: It's great. Stunning. Foliage is lovely. I'm with you on that. Yeah. (laughs) Charles.
2: I think you stole mine. I was just going to say like the, the beauty of nature in fall with the changing of the colors. I think, I think sweater weather is a real thing, you know? So, um, I think, especially here in Maryland, because you can't do bonfires really in any other season season except fall. So like that in fall, you can reasonably have a bonfire in Maryland because you can't do that in the summer, unlike Michigan, where you can, and it's best. Uh, True. And and in the spring, you can't because as you've mentioned, Elon, it's
0: just rainy
1: yeah big bummer
0: i feel like so in college spring was kind of my favorite season because it was kind of a it was a triumph because it meant you survived winter in michigan and like they're just so brutal that it was like okay genuinely especially like because you're in college or outside all the time like going to class or like going to work or some of my high school students, this is like when you're in high school, like even on the campus where you have to leave the building, you're not outside for that long, but you're outside for like miles when you're in school. And so there's like something of like, oh, spring's here. It doesn't hurt to be outside anymore. Um, I feel like fall is in Maryland is kind of like that because the end of summer here sucks. Like it's so hot and just like unbearably humid. So by the time you get to fall, it's like great made it's like like this week is kind of annoying because we have um it's supposed to get like into the 80s at the end of the week and now it's it's like we we did this like i'm over this <laughs> so, so i feel like uh, fall has kind of a relief in maryland the way that spring does in michigan mm-hmm. um my everything about fall i i love the leaves as well um I think it's, I love a good cider mill and pumpkin patch. Like, I grew up going to one every year with my mom. And so now she's like, that's just my thing. So, oh, there's a really good one in Mount Airy called Gaver Farms. Like, Amelia's not old enough to fully appreciate it yet, but when she is, I'll be fully enough. Old, she'll be old enough for me to fully appreciate it with her and do a oh. lot of the activities with her. And I'm really excited. It's like massive. There's a bunch of kids to climb on. There's hay rides and stuff. It's really cool. Um Shoot. So, probably a good cider mill. Uh, for me. Sweater weather is definitely a thing. I, I like to wear like warm sweats. layers. All, layers like all year, but I can't yes. feasibly do it over the summer. So when it's like finally cold, I was like, oh, this is just going to be me all the time and mm-hmm. it's going to be great. Um, And then I'm like, I I love watching Halloween themed Disney Channel movies so much. Like the Halloween Town Trilogy. We we watched Calabar's Revenge over the weekend. I was like, every year, it's just so good. Freaking Phantom of the Megaplex is great. So, yeah, I, I'm a sucker for the, like, this was on TV when I was a kid. I, I'll just sit and watch it unironically as a 30-year-old man and enjoy it just as much. Ah, so good. So freaking good.
2: Oh, that's wonderful.
0: All right, enough about... Calabar's revenge and how Calabar definitely deserved to win at the end of that movie. We're going to talk about Philippians today. So this is our series called Letters the theme of which is if Paul the apostle Paul wrote letters to the church today, particularly the western church today, um what would he have to say? And this is themed off of the letters that he did write to various churches throughout the beginning of the beginning of Christianity, beginning of the church um uh, on a macro level. So we are in Philippians um, in the context for which um, we're getting from the Bible Project, which has a lot of cool resources. If you are looking for overviews of books or just like big picture projects, they have a lot of cool resources um, there. Definitely check them out. They provide an amazing um, service. So there's a very short paragraph it just talks about the overall theme of Philippians before we dive into it. And then we'll kind of talk about what we think Paul would have to say uh, to the body based on what he says to the body of the church at Philippi. So from the Bible Project, Paul centers his letter to the Philippians around a poem that highlights Jesus's attitude of humility in the face of suffering. His letter invites all readers to consider other people's needs and interests even when life is hard. Difficult circumstances often make humans want to complain, compete against one another, and hoard resources to meet their own needs. But Paul invites us to remember how Jesus' Jesus' selfless sacrifice leads to true life. His resurrection gives us a reason to humbly share with others in the most difficult times. Paul's prison chains prove that sharing Jesus' attitude isn't easy. So he encourages the church and reminds them to endure. So that's the backdrop for Ephesians. Paul is in jail as he writes this, uh, mentions that several times. So we'll just dive right in, gentlemen. What do you think, based on this letter, Paul would have to say to the church um, based on what he said in Philippians?
1: So I think because there are so many churches that are not like the church in Philippi or the church at Philippi, um, this would be a cautionary letter for us, Um, one that warns us against um, taking so many of our cues, uh, cues from the culture we live in. So, the first one, I mean, that immediately stands out is sort of this temptation for self preservation that has seeped into every aspect of our culture and our country. Um, like, as it pertains to like suffering and, and persecution, especially. Um, so, on past episodes, we've mentioned the fact that much of the church in America, like the Christian church broadly, no specific tradition in, in particular, uh, has been in a cultural majority for quite a long time, and therefore isn't very well acquainted with cultural opposition. Um, and so there is this temptation to rely on political power to maintain a, uh, persecution-free form of discipleship. And then Philippians 1 verses 12 through 14, as well as 19 through 22, all wrote, um, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, so his imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole Imperial Guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Um, And then uh, moving, moving on, it says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, capital S Spirit, of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Um and so there really is like this letter really is about Paul saying, I'm seeing my imprison, I'm seeing the fruit of my imprisonment and not the process of being imprisoned or being unjustly thrown in, in jail, um, I'm seeing the fruit of my imprisonment, which is that the Lord, the royal guard now knows Jesus because I'm here. Like, that's why I'm happy. That's why I'm able to endure. That's why I have joy. So to be so gospel forward and to be, have a, such a mindset that, it, that cares so much for the spreading of the gospel, that it's willing to almost not even be bothered by the circumstance is not is not one where our culture is at right now. Um, we are fighting tooth and nail in many ways to be comfortable and to preserve, um, and this is not just a critique of the church, it's a critique of everyone, but ultimately because the church is supposed to be uh, going against the grain of what the world does. Um, I think Paul would be writing uh, brothers and sisters, um, it, it seems that you have lost your way. Christ is worthy of the suffering and the persecution that that you will inevitably go go through as disciples. Second Timothy three twelve says, "Indeed, anyone who uh, desires to live a godly life will be persecuted," and it doesn't say might be. It says will be, and so we're all going to endure some degree of persecution, but through the prayer of our brothers and sisters and by the indwelling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can actually endure um, that persecution. So I think first Paul would write about, "Mm, you all need to to consider the gravity of the gospel and the cost associated with telling it um, far more than you do.
2: Yeah, thanks, Eli. That was, that's a great starting point. And kind of, I want to kind of riff off of the the motif you said there. I think the one statement that really caught my attention uh, that you said was that we, as in like society at large here, the Western, our Western culture, the Western church are fighting tooth and nail. Um, and you said fighting tooth and nail. To be for comfort right is that what you said which i think is absolutely true but the thing that stuck out to me as well um was a slight uh deviation of that is i i see uh, our people our people this culture (laughs) um fighting tooth and nail um for their i and i'm doing air quotes on the video their identity and a, a wrong identity um in uh, Philippians three uh, later, let's see what's somewhere in verses three through 11. Uh, Paul says, I consider all things rubbish compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. um And I think there's a lot of people in our culture today, a lot of Christians, who think the surpassing value of their identity of fill in the blank as Democrat, Republican, um, part of the LGBTQ, uh, as wealthy, as an influencer, as a husband, as a father, as uh, a single person. You fill in the blank that whatever that identity is, that almost is an idol at some time, people, are fighting tooth and nail because that's the surpassing value for them. And Paul, who's writing this letter to the church in Philippi in chains uh, because of his commitment to the gospel and to the value of his relationship with Jesus Christ, is saying it's worth it because everything is rubbish. It Everything doesn't mean anything. If I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, and in fact in, and in luke seventeen thirty five jesus, or oh, thirty three, excuse me, Jesus says, those who try to make their life secure will lose it, but those who lose their lose their life will keep it. And people are trying to, or at least in my perception, it seems like people are trying to make their life secure in wrong identities. And the only thing that really keeps us secure, is our is our identity as son and daughter of the living God. Uh, and the way that we secure ourselves and anchor ourselves in that identity is through the relationship that God is desperately wanting to have with us, that Paul is saying is worth surpassing everything. Um, and I think especially Americans really confident in flesh and in comfort at the expense of knowing Jesus Christ, even at the expense of truth. There are what I would call nominal Christians out there who are more concerned with the fact that their political party is right, and in fact are so hypocritical hypocritical, (laughs) in their Christianity and even maybe in their political bias because they're putting all their chips in something that really has no value, as Paul says, to compared to the value of knowing Jesus Christ the Lord. So that was the one thing that really, really stuck out to me is Paul very clearly saying there is nothing, absolutely nothing compared to relationship of Jesus Christ. And I just wondered if Paul's writing to us, I wonder how scared he would be about the number of so-called Christians who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who might so-called proclaim him as Lord, who might go to church on Sunday, uh, who might say, like, man, that was a good sermon who 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 might like even give charitably, but who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which then impacts. Every facet and element of our life, including those identi- those false identities.
0: Well said, bro. So you guys are, it took a lot of the, from this where I was. Eli, I'm almost exactly where you were. I kind of, just knowing, there's a, a, a verse in particular I'll, I'll get to, but just knowing that the context of this is that Paul is in prison. Um, I've said before in here, I think that the Apostle Paul has no chill like I think that he'd be kind of a difficult guy to hang out with because he has no chill. Um, And there's a, I think that, well, I know that in my lifetime, uh, the Western church in particular loves to cry persecution. Like the American church loves to be like, we're being so persecuted that they're taking God out of schools. They don't want to, people don't want, um, the pledge of allegiance to say under god anymore there's red cups at starbucks like there's so many things where people are like oh my gosh we're so under persecution we have to wear masks during a pandemic like all this stuff and i feel like the apostle paul with the context of this letter would just look at his chains and be like yeah no that's cute like that's it's re- uh, you poor poor lambs oh my gosh i'm sorry that a secular nation of which you are already the majority religion doesn't bow to your every whim. I'm so sorry that people don't want to like bend over and make everything about your religion. I'm so sorry that people are saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. You poor, poor dears. I don't know how you do it. I'll just go back to writing these letters in my chains in this prison. Like, I. I just, I get annoyed with it. So I can't imagine that Paul would have much time for it because it kind of, it suggests that the gospel can only be preached through privilege. And that's just nonsense. It's, it's not consistent with the way that Paul lived. It's not consistent with the time he lived. And it's not consistent with the times that the gospel is spread the most. Like Paul was writing this letter in chains, the uh, Pentecost happened when disciples were hiding in upper rooms because Jesus had just died. The spread of the gospel in Rome happened while Christians were actually being persecuted and killed for entertainment, and in in all of these, and it were dispersed around um, the world at the time. And in all of these instances, we saw a huge spreading of the gospel. Um, In actual persecution where people were actually killed for just believing in who Jesus was and the Western church as cushy as Christians have ever been has the gall to cry persecution. Like I, it offends me and I've never, I've never been persecuted in my life. So I can't imagine that Paul would just be like, yeah, no, nah, it's, it, it's, it's tough out here. Really? I don't know how you guys make it. So I think that, I uh, simply Paul would implore in a probably not very polite way for Western Christians to, to use like a, a, a colloquialism to check their privilege, but also to really consider who they think God is. Like, do they think that if, if what, if we're to take the actions and like whinings of a lot of American Christians as evidence for who God is and for what he values. Do people really think that Jesus came for political power or to make one nation like uh, his nation outside of Israel? Because in the gospels, he flatly says that he doesn't. He just says like when he's talking to Pilate, he's like, my kingdom is not like of this world. Otherwise, like you wouldn't, I wouldn't basically be allowed for to be handed over to you. So it's like, do Christians really think that? And if because if we don't, then those are things we shouldn't be fighting for. Now, that it's different if we're talking about matters of life and death, what we believe are civil rights because we're Christian. But a lot of times it just becomes like, well, people aren't catering to us. And that's wrong because we're in the majority. And again, if, if you said that to Paul, he'd be like, you're in the majority like that. It's just not it's just not a thing that's re- realistic to where he wrote this from. And also probably not a thing that in the context of the life that Paul lived that he would have even imagined as a thing because the gospel was in, is intended to be counterculture. It's not actually supposed to be mainstream. It's not supposed to be something that you take on lightly and do because everybody else is doing it because there's cost. And so I think that Paul would implore people to think, do you think that Jesus came for an earthly kingdom? And if you don't, then don't live like he came for an earthly kingdom. Um but also, to get into, if you're act, if we're actually after the heart of who Jesus is, and this is, gets to the actual uh, verse in Philippians 2, like starting at verse 5, it talks about humility and Jesus choosing to be humble. Um, so from verse 5 through 11, let this, be, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Um, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Like Jesus himself didn't live a life like um like begging for people to just recognize this is who I am and you need to treat me like the son of god he chose to humble himself for the sake of others and if that's Jesus' example and we're supposed to be modeling our lives after his then it's not about um like you both really well played it's not about grasping the comfort and the privilege that we can get for ourselves it's about using whatever position we're in to make him more known because he chose to be humble um and so, yeah, there. that's the, there's probably more to it than that, but the long and short of it is I think that Paul would just be freaking disgusted and, and just nonplussed about a lot of the things that we say and pretend our persecution just to like make ourselves feel like we're actually walking in, in light of the gospel.
2: It's interesting you put that out, Jarell. Um But I mean, what you said is like i mean I, you probably just give a sermon on that that was so well put so well put um that's my golden nugget for our podcast today but i think also like it's it's interesting you say that because in our cultural context or in our modern day uh there are christians who are literally being persecuted or who who are in prison you look at the church in the big Eastern country, where missionaries are literally putting their lives, I know people who have served in that big Eastern country. Um, I know missionaries. Uh, I'm. Uh, I think everyone, a lot of our longtime listeners, know that I'm in in the the industry in the world of ministry partner development that's raising uh, partners and finances to be full time missionaries. I know nationalists from that country. Who have raised full-time support from uh, naturals from that country to spread the gospel. And they're literally risking their livelihood, their lives from their government. And I'm sure, to your point, Jarrell, if Paul was here, Paul probably might be in that country, in, in bondage, in that country, writing this letter. And he would probably be like, oh, that's cute. Like, you have religious freedom. And what are you doing with it? I I don't want to answer that question for like America's Christianity. What are we doing with religious? I'm sure there's pockets, you know, I would hope that um, the ministry that I'm a part of would be something that Paul could point to and say, Hey, they're doing something good. But on the whole, I don't know if I want to be held accountable for what we're doing with religious liberty when there isn't religious liberty throughout our current society.
0: that's an excellent point. Like real, real persecution is happening, uh, across religions, but also to Christians. Um, and it's insane to it's insane in the the Western world to gripe about the things that we do, which again speaks to, I, I Oh, I can't remember the passage. I should have, I did not think of this until now. There's a, there's a passage somewhere about, uh, I think it's when they're when the, it when Israel wants a king and they like and God gives them Saul. And there's something in there about like I uh, them asking for a king and this idea of is God like your king or is he your Lord? Is he there to just kind of solve all the physical, like tangible, political things and rule over that or is he there to rule over your hearts? And I think that in the Western church, we've gotten intertwined with a lot of things. Uh, There's been a lot of things baked into the way that uh, people are treated to preserve power, uh, be it racism, sexism, political parties, um, white supremacy. But I think that in so doing, we say that well, we'll take Jesus as King, but not as Lord. We'll take him if he fixes all these things that we see in the here and now as immediate problems, but not if he actually wants to do work on our hearts and we'll just complain when those things don't favor us, when we don't actually uh, feel like we have the advantage of that privilege in places, even though it's, it's, it's not only something Jesus never said he would do for us, the opposite is true. Like, it's, it's just not, it's just not a thing. Like God, he never said, this is going to be easy. This is something that is going to be so mainstream and catchy. Everyone's going to do it. And it'll be, there'll be like uh it'll be chill. I was like, no, this is going to be counterculture as it should be. And I know there's something to be said that it is the, the mainstream Christianity, at least in the West is something that has been so diluted that it is relatively easy to do. I think that's shifting, but yeah, it's, it's where we're whining over something that Jesus never said he'd give us. And it bothers me. And I'm saying this to myself as well, but yeah, it just irritates me. I think as, as a culture, because because we the
1: churches in Western culture are so easily affected by Western culture, um, there is this longing for autonomy, this longing for sort of a masterless existence that uh, coincides with the point you were making before with like wanting Jesus as king but not as as Lord, Um, My pastor, uh, Kurt, frequently says, like, wanting the kingdom without the king. So I want the privilege. I want the benefits of uh, proximity to Christ. But I don't really want to deal with Christ himself. He's okay in that corner over there. Um, And one thing I find interesting about um, this letter, well so two different passages, but I'll focus on this one for right now, um, is in chapter two, Paul wrote, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, uh, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Um, and so to uh, sort of piggyback on the points that you were making before, Jarrell, um, who are you doing your discipleship for? Like, and and what are you doing it for? Like, are you are you, like, we as disciples have to constantly consider, like, am I actually doing this because... I want to please the Lord. Um, And what does it mean to work out my salvation with fear and trembling? It means to acknowledge that the Lord is fearsome and that he has chosen to withhold his wrath from me because he delivered it upon his son. And the fact of the matter is that either Jesus already died for my sins or I'm going to. And the difference between those two things is who I have faith in and how that faith manifests in my life, right? Faith without works is dead. And so i think a lot of us are having this uh, are tempted certainly by the devil um certainly by our own flesh and certainly by the world around us to have a workless faith and think that that's somehow a pleasing to the lord um and and to be satisfied with that merely and so uh, it's important to realize paul is writing to a church and he wrote as you have always obeyed so now not only is in my presence but much more in my absence right and so like Jesus wrote very clearly, like John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Obedience is the form um, that our affection to God takes, right? And so an obedient, an obedience less faith, a disobedient faith is is one that is not faith at all. Um, There is no love for God in disobedience. There's only hate for God. And and if your individual um, walk with the Lord shapes up in a a pattern of disobedience in a practice of sin or a, a practice of uh self-service then um then you om- you don't then you don't fear the lord and i don't mean like in a i'm shaking in my boots all the time i'm afraid that he doesn't love me kind of way because that means that you're afraid of punishment but i mean in a i acknowledge the fact that the lord is fearsome and he has and i'm getting grace i don't deserve like everything that i'm offered is unmerited um but also not just individually but collectively as a church he also writes so if there is any encouragement in christ any comfort from love any participation in the spirit capital s any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love being in full accord and of one mind. Now, this does not mean in a worldly sense of you all can't differ in, I don't know, small things, right? So I think about any particular small thing, but what does it mean to function as a unified body? What does it mean to have one master? What does it mean to uh, submit to the same law? What does it mean to be um, guided by the same spirit, capital S spirit? Um, I think a lot of times we there is this fear to keep your brothers and sisters um there's a there is this reluctance to get involved in someone else's life to the point where you can actually um snatch them back from the fire where you can actually keep them and take care of them where you... and this is how our country is this is how, like, we're all such individuals, and that's, and we're all, and we all need to be so confident about, to your point, Charles, our identities and who we are, and and just boasting that, bragging that, and, and root your identity and root root who you are in that, all your habits, all your perspectives, is just rooted in that, and it's like, yeah, but you die alone that way, um, you. you you're left exposed no one's taking care of you you're not taking care of anyone else that's a very loveless existence and and god would have his people be bound together in love as he defines it not as we define it and yeah i just, i just don't think we we belong to a culture that that is so anti being of one mind in the lord and in his spirit or even being like
2: unified right yeah you even look at some of the identities these groups these factions and it's if you actually look at them they're like you're not actually unified you're not yeah you don't even agree with each other you're not agree with each other you have the same name and you stay claim to that name but if you actually look at your practices your theories like you ain't moving to the same goal you're kind of like a mess you're a mess and it it doesn't look good and you know a couple times in scripture to your point like uh it's pointed to like the unity of christ is like a body all you know working together yeah we can have minor disagreements right like right, 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 and, right. but we can still be unified towards a common goal of proclaiming jesus as lord being part Amen. of the kingdom following and obeying the laws and living out our faith uh and having that be uh, expressed and evidenced by um service and faithfulness and fruitfulness. And we see that with Paul right? He was being faithful and fruitful and he was in chains because of it. And yet, to your first point, Eli, he still says, uh, it's worth it. What has happened to me is actually come for the fruition of the gospel. It's worth it. It's worth it for the passing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I think Paul would be calling us uh, Christians, to those who proclaim Jesus Christ as their Lord, uh, people who don't necessarily just, as you said, uh, just identify with the kingdom, but I identify the king as their Lord. And he would be saying, hey, you guys, let's unify let's and unify under the surpassing value of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and work are working out your faith uh, together, unified. Um, yeah,
0: I think there's uh, to both your points something there, and then we'll, we'll' um close to like fidelity to the gospel is one that calls us to the vulnerability of who we are before christ but also to each other and i think this of paul kind of kind of his his life kind of flying in the face of personal or corporate privilege is one that kind of points out that that when you're trying to seize that where you're trying to seize this is who i this is what i deserve or what i am owed or even like this is just like uh, my identity and my way of living out the identity is the right way of living out that identity. It does lead to an insulation. It does lead um, to, I uh, say, it's when we're justifying so much of ourselves in ways that are not explicitly rooted in Christ, it does lead to sin. It does lead to um, us kind of losing ourselves in the process. Like in, uh, what am I Three. Yes, Philippians three. Right at the beginning, Paul talks about like his own privilege. And if he were to deal with himself as under the old law, who he would have been. And he says, what does he say? Um, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is the law, blameless." So Paul, in that moment, is saying, like, these are the things that I seized for um, before I knew Christ. These are the personal privileges that I enjoyed. And these were the things that I justified to myself because of them in persecuting the church and actually killing Christians. Because he was so caught up in, like, this is who I am. This is what I deserve. These are the privileges that I enjoy and no one else can um, because I'm me. And we see where that led, Paul. Um, We see how even as that person, it took literally an act of God to move him to be in a place where he's humble enough to write letters from prison. And so his life shows that it's not just a call of humility to Jesus to be willing to recognize all those things that the world culturally says, oh, this benefits you and these are the privileges you enjoy because of it, but also to recognize that those the humility that we're called to is for our sake through Christ, but also for each other that Paul, as he writes, this is, has committed himself to a people and to churches all over um, the, uh, all over the world that are part of the early church. And there's this consistent message of this is not, this is not a calling that is lived out alone. This is not a calling that's lived out with a me first attitude. It's a calling that requires vulnerability, Uh, vulnerability before God, vulnerability before your brothers and sisters and Paul um, through this book um, and many others, many others invites us into that to remind us that it's not an individual uh, sport that in some way we have to be connected to each other. We have to be connected to him. And that only comes via humility and a willingness to let go of the things that maybe sometimes we think we are owed for whatever backwards reason. Amen. Well, it is all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can check us out at thewell.podbean.com. We upload new episodes on Mondays on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can also connect with us on Instagram and Facebook by searching three guys at the well. And if you want even more content and like to help the pod- and would like to help this podcast grow, consider becoming a patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash well for exciting new forward slash at the well for exciting new bonus content. This has been lovely. We'll talk to you soon here at the well.